come alongside and listen to this story, we have to travel. And what we're going to do is travel far, far away. Far, far away without causing any pollution, no air miles, just in the realm of your imagination. And we are going to go to the ancient land of what we now know as Iran. A place where we think was the birthplace of writing as we know it. A place of deep, deep, wise civilization. And we're going to go to the time of the seventh century. When the Sassanigam Empire has just been defeated by the incoming Arabs, Muslims. And to this date, there is a group of people called the Zoroastrians. And the Zoroastrians, until this date, lived happily in this beautiful land of Iran. And then the Arab Muslims came and invaded, and they were not happy with their, their ways of worship, which worshipped fire, which worshipped the elements. And that went against the faiths of Islam. And so the people of the Zoroastrian people started to become persecuted. And in order for them to survive, they had to flee. This is a really long story. We're going to make it into a short story. They had to flee. And not unlike the scenes that we have seen today, where we see people in boats crossing treacherous waters, they had to leave the shores of their land in boats and they crossed to find refuge. And they landed in a place in India called Gujarat, a place where my ancestors come from, a place where my ancestors come from, where I come from a line of priests and priestesses. And here, when they arrived on the shore, they met the king, Jadirara. And they went to the king and they sought refuge. They looked bedraggled. They had just what they had, bags on their backs and the clothes that they were wearing. And they said namaste and asked for refuge. And the king looked at all these people who wanted refuge and said, oh no, and he started to speak in Gujarati. But of course, the Zoroastrians didn't speak Gujarati and the king didn't speak the ancient Persian language. So they had to think, they had to use their imagination. How could the king let these people know that there was no place for them, there was no space for them? The king was worried about the resources of the land and whether there would be enough. And so one of the king's advisors brought a bowl of milk. He bought a bowl of milk and he started filling the bowl with milk, a bowl, the bowl with lots and lots of milk. And it began to fill and fill and fill. And the king kept gesturing to the people, saying, see, like all these people, 
the milk in the bowl, we, it's enough, we have no space. And they fold the bowl right up to the brim and said, I'm so sorry, but we have no space. And so the leader of the Zoroastrian tribe went away and he came back and he came back with some sugar. And he came back with some sugar and he poured it into the bowl. And he said in his language, which I have no ability to speak, he said, we put the sugar in and so the bowl will not overflow, but we do bring sweetness to add to your milk. And the king understood. And so he gave permission and he gave refuge. And to this day, there is a massive community of now people who are called Parsis who have added incredible value in cultural heritage, richness, business, culture to the land of Gujarat, but the whole of India. Stories. Stories, right? Why do we tell stories? There are many, many living traditions. I think most of us, I should imagine, have told stories where um, you meet a friend and you say, oh, what did you get up to yesterday? Or how was your day? Or how are you right now? We are constantly as human beings making stories. It's how we communicate. It's what our world is made of. It's how we shape and make sense of things. And I think I'm just thinking about living traditions of stories as well. I mean, I didn't really discover storytelling for myself until I'd, I'd become a mom. And, you know, I was thinking about, um, like in West Africa, they have a, a tradition of griots. And they're like, they're like wisdom keepers, tradition keepers. They're traveling kind of advisors. They're musicians and they tell the stories. And the, that tradition is still alive. There's an amazing storyteller, if you ever come across her, called Shona Lee, who is a Jewish storyteller. And apparently she's the last in her line of this type of storytelling called the Drutsia. And um, apparently they have to, all the traditions, so she's the seventh, I think, in, in line of different generations where all the stories are passed on already. And each story circle that she knows um, has, they're called rounds, and she has to have 12 of those, and each round has 100 stories in them. And until she knows all 12, can she be given the title? Beautiful, beautiful, like tradition. And nothing is ever written down. Nothing is ever. I come from a tradition where when I was living in India, I grew up and we used to go to Gatha. So Gatha was like, you know, a month long tradition of storytelling. So like the Ramayana, we just had Diwari last week. And you know, the Ramayana would be told for a month, day after day after day, all in story, all telling tradition. Of course, there were books, there are texts that people to refer to. But originally. And what I love about the stories, the Ramayana that I grew up with, was that depending on who told me, it was always different. The story was always different how they told, told it. And for me as well, now when I tell the story, it's also different. And you know, that's kind of one of the questions that we that we're gonna be in some ways asking us, you know, there are traditional stories, and you know, how relevant are they for us? 
And why do we tell stories? We tell stories to make sense. We tell stories to make sense of the world, but we tell stories to make sense of our own world. We, we shape and package and try and convey and communicate. And we tell stories to share and connect with one another. We tell stories to learn about resilience. All stories go through what's called a story arc. So some of you might already know this. Um, and I'm going through my notes in a way that I haven't written them, so forgive me. But there is a, a German guy called Gustav Freytag, and he, in 1863, started to study stories, partly because they grew up. And he talked about what's called a story arc. So in the story arc, we have exposition, something that's like setting the scene and the context and the foundation. And then we have a rising action, possibly like the, the people in the Zoroastrian story starting to feel persecuted. And then we have um, them getting on the boat. So there's a kind of climax and meeting the king. And then you have a falling action where the permission for refuge is given and then denouement, which is that kind of tidying up of the story. You know, everything is okay. But what I want you to hear in that arc, in that story arc is things that happen to our nervous system. So, you know, when we hear stories, we talk about um, neurobiology of stories. So when we're hearing the story and there's things that are happening that are distressing, are stressful, are causing us anxiety and tension, we absolutely as human beings need this. We need this because we know this in our system. We need this because this is what real life is. And so the stories reflect to us what real life is. And then what we learn by listening to the stories is that when we come to that place of, for example, tension in a story, our, our body physically is, is um, releasing chemicals. So it's, it, the chemical for this one is called cortisol. It's like the stress response chemical. And, you know, our system is coursing with it. And, you know, you really see it, particularly with children who are, are really beautifully sensitive. Like I remember my son, I might as well bring this, my, my boy into this. You know, we went to see, the first time he ever went to the cinema, we went to see this animation called The Polar Bear. And the polar bear was being, um, the little polar bear was being kidnapped. And he just found that so because the little polar bear was being separated from his mum and being kidnapped and it was just too much for him. We, we did revisit the story and watched it another time and completed. But the point being that there's that stress response and then what happens is that you get that climax and then you get a solution to the climax and then there's the denouement, the gathering in and the settling which basically you know, releases oxytocin. And oxytocin, for many of you who may know, is the love hormone. You know, it's released at birth between mother and child. It allows us this, this releases oxytocin. This session will release oxytocin just by us kind of going, hi, where are you from? Who are you? You know, looking around at each other, being together. It releases oxytocin. It's the love hormone. It allows us to build empathy, no empathy, allows us to care, allows us to bond, it allows us to have a sense of belonging. So physiologically, 
right from day one, possibly when we were hunter-gatherers, we know what it means to have a stress response in our body and then a coming down from the stress response and a love, a love response, a caring, sharing, connecting response. And stories can give us that. Stories can give us that. So we don't have to go hunting for, well, I don't, some of you might. We don't have to go hunting for, but we can listen to the stories and have a, have a sense of that happening. Stories also allow us to pass on wisdom. You know, I'm living in England, I've grown up in England, I come from an Indian tradition, and I want to pass that on. I want to pass that heritage, that culture, that wisdom on to my son and others, to, to many others, not just my son. So it allows me to do that. It also allows me to be in the unknown. And that's really important, to be in the unknown space of, of risk of not knowing what's going to happen next so that I can then think, okay, what are my resources? What are my things? What are my guides? You know, who can I turn to? Where can I be? What resources do I have to pull on in order to sort this situation out? So stories also fire our imagination. They allow us to think outside the box. They allow us to, to see you know, we're actually much more visual. You know, I think I read some stat. I am going to give this to you because it is really fantastic. Apparently, 90% of information that's transmitted to our brain is visual. Is visual. So when we're hearing stories and we're imagining pictures, it's really stimulating different parts of the brain. And also that we process 60,000 times faster when it's a visual piece of information than a text information, which I think is really fascinating as well. So stories also give us that, that um, opportunity to make friends with parts of ourselves. So typically in a story, you know, you'll have the victim, you'll have the hero, you'll have the villain, You'll have the guide, the wise wisdom person, keeper, you know, who might help you along. You might have the fool. Those are kind of faint, five main typical kind of characters, if you like. And Jung, Carl Jung, the psychoanalyst, he talks about the archetypes and so the idea of archetypes that represent universal mythical characters, or I call them embodied aspects of ourselves. So he's named... Um, 12. So one of them is the innocent in the story, the orphan or the kind of regular guy or girl, the hero, the caregiver, the explorer, the rebel, the lover, the creator, the jester, the sage, the magician, and the ruler. And what I'd like to say is that all of us are all of those. All of us are all of those, including the villain. And when in this day and age we're talking about worlds of polarities, when we're talking about extremist thinking, when we're talking about hate versus love, when we're talking about right wing versus left wing, Brexit or no Brexit, Biden or Trump, those polarities are within us. You know, I have to admit 
So this is where my psychotherapy, body psychotherapy training comes in. You know, I have to admit that there are places in me that hate. I did a session with somebody a few weeks ago, one of my clients, and they, um, I've asked permission to share this, and they, um, they said that they, their whole session was how they absolutely hated Trump. And it was like, great, yeah, fab, welcome hate. And they were like, why has no one ever, you know, why has someone, why has someone killed someone like Martin Luther King, but no one has killed someone like Trump? And I sat there listening to my client going, yeah, that's a really good question. Because I could really identify with that feeling state. So we tell stories and we listen to all the archetypes, the characters in the stories to enable us to sit in those different characters and archetypes and positionings within ourselves. And for me, until I can make friends with those different aspects of myself, I can't truly listen to some other aspect in a dialogue conversation. So stories allow us that. Stories allow us the space, creativity, the, the in-between place to actually really sink down and listen to people. So we say that there are four eyes of storytelling to interest us, to instruct us, to involve us and to inspire us. So to interest us, to instruct us, to involve us and to inspire us. And also there's lots of neuroscience research coming out. So I talked a little about the chemicals. So what we also know, some of you again might be working with trauma and know about trauma is Dr. Dr. Stephen Forges work on the polyvagal theory. So, so the idea that our systems are constantly needing to regulate and the story allow us to do that, which means that then in real life, we can also know how to navigate any kind of adversity. And I think for me, that's really, really interesting. And um, what we know from the research done on brain chemistry and body behavior, so there was a guy called Paul Zak who did some research and he's basically shown that when people hear or watch a story that's just like flat where everything is happy, there's not much going on in the brain chemistry. But when we hear a story, which for example, in his case, in this piece of research, it was about a dad and a little boy. And first you just see the little boy and the dad you know, just playing with each other, but then we get to hear the dad's story of how he's feeling really sad because the boy is dying of cancer. And so within us, there elicits that response of empathy. And what they found is that the people who watch this film, where the dad explains that how he can't just be present with his son, because even though his little two-year-old is so happy, he's actually dying and it's struggle, it's a struggle for him to be with him. That later on, after, after people watch this film, and heard the story, they were much more generous in their giving. And they were much more generous in their reporting of being able to care and share for each other. So I kind of just want us to, I just want that information to land a little bit. So what it's telling us is that by listening to different types of stories, 
we can alter our brain chemistry. And then the brain chemistry can have an impact on our behavior. which kind of begs the question of what are the stories we want to tell? What are the stories we want to tell to enable and support us to change our own behaviors? So I think that's a really interesting kind of pivotal piece of information for me. And of course, you know, one of the things about stories is talking, thank you, the thing about diversity and inclusion. So, you know, absolutely thinking about what happens when we don't include people's voices. And we know that there's a massive conversation going on right now in the world post um, the Black Lives Matter and tragic death of George Floyd. There's a massive conversation about colonization and decolonization and what that means on a global scale, on a global scale. You know, what happens when those voices are not included? What happens when we don't really listen to the voices of people who live in the Amazon, who know, who are wisdom keepers, who are traditional plant medicine healers, who know so much that we don't? What happens when we don't listen to that perspective where the earth is a reverent space? but we just listen and are told that it's a commodity, it's a commodity, it's a commodity to extract from. What happens to our brain chemistry? What happens to our behavior? If we are only told about thinking about self and greed and looking after ourselves, then our behavior becomes a contracted one. But if we are told that there is enough for everybody, I am really happy to share my food with you because I can see that you are hungry. My brain chemistry alters, your brain chemistry alters, and we change our behaviors in relation to that. So we are all diverse people. That's the other thing. You know, sometimes diversity and inclusion conversations get quite narrow. But actually, when we look at ourselves, going back to this idea of polarities and archetypes, we are all diverse. We are all this incredible universe all by ourselves. So how do we celebrate that? How do we pull those stories out? And absolutely, how do we keep within that, looking at the marginalized voices? You know, I feel like I've grown up in this country and my voice is marginalized. It's why I do what I do, because I feel like there's a space where even just now I'm having conversations with people about how I've experienced racism in this country, grown up in this country. I've lived in Devon for 22 years, but I'm just beginning to have conversations with people that I've known for years who have never looked at my reality state. And now, the BLM movement has allowed me this opportunity to talk with them. Yeah, and it's a bigger question why I haven't done that before. You know, and it's another topic. And I know some of the people here today are very versed in, you know, answering some of those questions. So my question also is what wisdom are we missing? What wisdom are we missing? And, you know, what perspectives and actually what solutions are we missing? What we're going to do is we are going to get you into groups of four 
and we're going to ask you two questions. Herman, I think you're going to put the questions in the chat, or Annie, one of you is going to put the questions in the chat. The, the first thing we're going to do is ask you to share a story that has had an impact on you or is memorable for you. And the second question or conversational piece, if you like, is what are the stories that are redundant or need revision? Try and either hold time for each other with a couple of minutes and you can be really organized and get your phone out and have two minutes each, or you can just have a, a gentle conversation, but just be mindful of you know, letting each other speak letting all the voices in your group speak. So how's that? We're going to kind of let you loose in the breakout and we'll see you back out in 12 minutes and Annie's going to do that, so give her a moment. Fabulous, great. Welcome back, everybody. Um, what were the stories then? Um, that had an impact on you? Oh, I, I talked about Bluebeard. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> um, Catherine was talking about the uh, the Native American one with the elder and the wolf and the dog and which which one wins in the in the fight inside which I I really love and she told it beautifully mm -hmm. and then um, Kirsten was with us from New York mm -hmm. and she's got to go and do something else now yeah. and she was talking about the um, Disney Frozen not having rep any any sort of diverse representation and a friend of hers from a Hispanic background not having not being able to kind of um, provide what her child wanted because the story was lacking. So it'd be really lovely to just um, maybe have two three people just kind of feed back in right now. So we were just hearing from um, Catherine and Miriam, but like maybe what was your story? Maybe two, three people sharing what was your story or um, yeah, what's the story that's a bit redundant or needs revisioning? It was a, a really wonderful experience because first we wanted to connect and we first connected to like, how do we know Sanja? And some of us know, some of us don't know, but that was our first point of like our story of connection. Okay, <laughs> great. Mutual story. And then, um, I really enjoyed a story um, that was shared by Claire. Uh, I believe it was Claire, right? <laughs> um, shared a story that became a ritual for her and her daughter when, when her daughter was two years old. And it was a story about the relationship between the earth, the sun and the moon. Mm. And how when her daughter heard it when she was two years old, um, she, it became a ritual every night. She wanted to hear more about it. And I just thought, wow, stories as rituals are just such an empowering uh, mechanism for connection and for bond between, you know, people um, and how relationships, it's such an important part of the story that um, we can be in, we can be far apart or we can be closer together and, um, and there could be conflict or not, but that's me just extrapolating from the story. There's nothing like that that was shared, but that just really struck me. Story is a ritual and something that we internally crave. Mm, thank you. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you, Olya. Yeah, thank you. Someone else, someone else. It'd be lovely to hear your voices. So maybe a story that's had an impact on you that was really important for you growing up or even now, current. Um, the things that came out were about language, rich language, 
and also repetitive, repetitive language and rhythm that the stories were, I don't know, soothing or joyful or um, had effect, had power because of the language within them, the use of words. And also um, a story that uh, we were listening to little bits of from China about um, a foot jumping, this foot that got separated and had to just jump jump to find itself, jump to find the rest of its body or jump to find its other foot. So that element of fantasy mm. um, was significant. So it was, it, yeah, that's what, that's what we talked about. Rather than, I think rather than it being the story, the narrative of the story that was meaningful for us, it was the, we all found something that was about, yeah, mm. rhyme, rhythm, repetition, Mm. Great. Thank Beautiful. you, Fiona. I see, um, Aude, would you like to share? So just a quick thing, in, in our group, we had um, this wonderful point that was raised about um, the kind of stories that maybe need revising or the stories we've had, we maybe had enough of. And the point that was, was raised about um, the kind of stories that come with uh, maybe soap operas, that those stories of chaos repeated over and over and over again without resolution or solutions and so mm -hmm. I, what came out of that was there's, there's no, no arc and you don't have the same kind of structure of a story mm -hmm. um, and the, they're a bit um, the repetitive they're a bit compelling addictive and mm -hmm. i wondered if that was perhaps a reflection of the kind of way that stories have been told in modern politics as well that might have a reflection on what we've experienced and what a lot of people have experienced from say the likes of trump um, some of the politicians in this country as well, um, the kind of the way that stories are told to excite and enrage uh, without really providing a healthy solution. Mm. So that, that was quite an interesting point, I thought that was worth sharing. Yeah, thank you. And that's a really important point, isn't it, when we're talking about the nervous systems, because if they're not allowed to settle then we're not we're not able to then produce the oxytocin that enables us to co-create and be generous and share and empathize etc 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 kate if, if you'd like to share i think you can just unmute yourself um, oh i was just adding to fiona about we talked about um in, i was in her group as well and how we talked about metaphor creative space for multiple entry points um and to kind of build on that one of the foot looking for it and in terms of destabilizing kind of traditional stories that perhaps had would uh, like uh, old fashioned um, or kind of um, redundant hierarchies in them that actually metaphor created space for us to find those different ways in that would feel more resonant. Um, I, I told the story of the owl who was afraid of the dark, um, which I don't know if anyone had when they were younger. Um, I think it's by Jill Murphy, but the owl who was afraid of the dark and um, he shuts his eyes, take a deep breath, and falls off his branch and he goes out during the day and meets different people who teach him about the dark, um, about maybe it's a boy scout who's doing fireworks or a woman who says about how dark is kind and then he goes hunting with a cat. Um, and it's a really beautiful story because I think it, um, it's not too like moralizing or prescriptive. It does have a learning message, but it's quite, it's quite gentle um, and it finds, it finds ways that are playful to do that. And I was saying I gave it to an adult friend well, who was, who was who's still a bit afraid of the dark. So I gave them that children's storybook and 
and read it to them. Brilliant. Thank you, Kate. I think we'll take one more, one more if somebody wants to share a story that's redundant or needs revision. Stuart? That would be great. Oh, yeah. Um, so we, we had a really good, um, our, the stories that we, we shared, so there were three of us, and we shared two stories, and they were kind of about karmic justice, which was lovely, which was the way the twist kind of always brings a, you know, a leveller. Um, but then when we were talking about um, stories that should be redundant, we were talking about Hollywood, Hollywood stories, the fact that they're not stories anymore, that they're movies, not films, that these things are made for reasons that we can't comprehend. And that actually, that they seem to be driven by finance and you know, other, other kind of issues. And that actually maybe Hollywood is the story that needs to be retold. Mm. And that, you know, money is driving culture. That's the thing that we really do need to, to start addressing. Mm. Beautiful, thank you, thank you, Stuart. And I'm just gonna read out what Jane Hartland has said. She, Harland, sorry, has said, we talk, we, in their group, they talked about stories that recreate a world which we no longer want because they embody injustice. So we don't want to tell stories that we create this, absolutely. And that leads me on beautifully to the third question that we realize now that we were trying to do way too much in this hour, by the way, just to let you know that. So we're probably gonna do another workshop with some other questions, but the question, third question that we were gonna ask and have a big open group discussion, but we can do this another time, is you know, what are the new stories? You know, what are the new stories that we want to tell together? What are the new stories that we want to co-create together? What are the new stories that we want to collaborate on? What are the new stories and who are going to be the teller of those stories? So that's another two-hour workshop. We're going to do another time. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you a poem. So when me, we, me, Herman and Annie were kind of talking about this workshop, I suddenly remembered that I'd written a poem. I'd written a poem. And this is so I'm taking a risk here. So this talk this evening is part of my life story, right? It's part of my life story. And I'm taking a risk by reading a poem, which I don't normally do. I don't read my own poetry. So I'm going to read you a poem. That I wrote. This was right at the beginning of lockdown, which is what happens when you do loads of yoga and meditation, your brain goes into a different place and poetry starts coming out. It's brilliant. So I'm going to read that and then I'm going to hand over. I think I'm going to start closing and I'll hand it back to Annie. So again, getting into your listening positions. What if, what if imaginations could run wild? The world as we know it dies. Would I grieve you? No. For your cowardly confinement oppresses my heart, body, mind. What if? What if people really smiled and see? Silver threads of woven ancestry. Fabric calling us to the loom to be free. Wonder at creation, one another and see the divine. What if, high on bird song, garam masala chai, kangaroos jump on stony path, glimpses of true knowing, ancient tree, tree tales are a sowing, and sacred green groves growing. What if, what if the world back then was never recreated, the world bank was finally defeated, 
Checks of kindness were issued fast, visions of possibilities from the past, brought into the future, present dismissed. It didn't need to be protected. What if? What if we could live close in communing trees? All education was free. Children learned radical thinking and how to be, <clears throat> skills of growing and carpentry, choosing what they want to learn, following their passions, bringing in their gifts in return. What if? What if city streets were lined with trees? Veg boxes grow in the clean breeze, grazing conversations neighborly. Adults played circle tales every day. No cars and singing, yes, singing instead. Sentient beings don't need to fear or freeze. Animals, insects, birds can just breathe. What if hatred never existed? Discrimination race was banished into thin mist. Histories were acknowledged and healed. Our interconnections were sealed. Indigenous plants were welcomed in to bathe and cleanse our tender souls. Queens and kings of love were made known. What if every child was welcomed in? Rituals took place as the day began. Elders were consulted wholeheartedly and rooms for long lasting hugs were built in. One bowl would feed them all as all needs were satiated. What if, what if it was okay not to know? What if it was okay not to know? No, really, listen. What if it was really, really okay not to know? Cutting ourselves some treadmill slack, softening the spinal conveyor belt of our backs, Resting back, yes, resting back into emergent creative thinking coming back. What if we dared to tell a new story? One that we knew hadn't existed, not yet breathed, gestating in the womb of the collective, awaiting birth into the unknown, aphotic moments of portals open arriving critical mass of alchemy selected. What if deep time together brought mycelium beings within us, synapsing new ways, past history fades, healing takes place, everyone's voice takes shape. What if, what if imaginations could run wild? So thank you, everyone, for coming along this evening and listening to my two pences worth. Thank you, Annie and Herman. It's been really beautiful to follow your journey with Circle Tales um, and actually finally see it in production. So if you haven't played Circle Tales, Christmas is coming. Put it on the list. I think if you buy 10 games, you get... <laughs> But I'm just gonna I'm gonna hand it back to Annie just to kind of close. Yeah, thank you. Overrun a little bit. Thank you so much, Sandhya. Beautiful. And we I just if there's any way to do like a zoom applause, we do it all now. <laughs> and uh, yay! <laughs>
Um, and just to let everyone know, um, this is the first of hopefully many talks that we're planning. We're actually thinking of them more as conversations. And uh, we just are so grateful for all of you um, being here and also for coming over a little bit extra time. We really appreciate you staying on the call with us. And we hope this was a valuable starting point for you um, in terms of looking at however you're approaching storytelling and the, the kind of healing aspects of it. So thank you, everyone. Thank you, Sandhya. And stay in touch. <laughs>